Come one and come all and hear the wonderful tales of Evermore. Welcome to World Talkers, an unofficial Evermore fancast. Stay a while and listen to stories of valor, mystery, and romance. Hear ye, hear ye, this adventure begins now. Welcome to World Talkers. We're so grateful that you're here and that we get to talk again. I'm Wyatt. I'll be kind of the weird host for today. Hey guys, it's Chandler. What's going on? I'm Skylar over here. And I'm Daniel, the last in the circle of hosts. Ooh, it's gonna be a good one. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, we wanted to start it off today's episode with a question that one of you have sent in to us. Uh, the question goes as such. He first says, Hi, World Talkers. Thanks for all the episodes. I'm looking forward to visit Evermore in the future, and this has given me a good grasp of what to expect, especially the last episode. I was wondering about going as a group to Evermore. Are there any benefits to going to things by yourself, or is sticking together through your time there the best option? I remember one of you talking about your sister coming along and preferring the romantic storylines. I was wondering if you and your friends found yourselves splitting ways to get more of the storylines you were most interested in. Thanks for the podcast. It's really fun to enjoy the world vicariously, John. Thank you, John. Thank you very much, John. To answer your question, in short, for me, I found that typically we stick together more times than not as a group. That's just how we've decided that we enjoy doing it. But there are plenty of times where we will split ways to go talk to a character that we've maybe heard has a juicy bit of information. So one or two of us will split off uh, and we'll keep in contact through text or something. But normally it's if we split off, we always come back together, share the information that we've gained. It's never just a split off to just pursue a storyline that interests me. It's typically to benefit the group. Although I, I have had my fair share of experiences where I just wanted to go talk to Gudrun about some fun myths or something that ne- wasn't necessarily related to the storylines we were pursuing in general, but just fun side information that was just for me. I could also agree with that. There's there's kind of benefits to doing both either way. As you said, Dan, we, we typically would stick together a lot of the mm-hmm. majority of the time but we do have a big group and that kind of facilitated us splitting off. There is one time where I went by myself and I've heard from other people that have attended the the park that go by themselves. And there are certain benefits because in a group, we all kind of want to learn certain things. And so that can sometimes uh, distract from one thing that you may be super passionate about, but feel like you need to feel like you need to go with the group on. However, if you go by yourself, you can really just go and focus on that one idea or thought that you have and pull that string from all the characters to see where it goes. And you're not really going to get a sidetracked because, again, you're by yourself without other people bringing in other ideas. So, again, it's kind of just a preference thing in regards to what you want to do there. But sticking with a group is fun and going alone is also fun. It's just what works best for you and what works best with you and your friends. I definitely recommend going just a couple of times so that you can get to know how you want it. Uh, Evermore is something you can go repeatedly and, and learn things differently and see what works for you, like Skylar was saying. Evermore is definitely an individual experience. I, I love that you bring up my sister and how she wanted to pursue those romantic stories because when I went with her, I knew that's what she wanted. I knew that going into Aurora's story was not going to be for her. 
And so I did split off from you guys. And mm-hmm. what was fun is that we did meet up together and we traded stories and that was really, really fun. And that was a good time. It, it was just keeping in contact with your group and just letting each other know of events and, and, and tableaus that are happening, I feel like is what's going to get you the best amount of energy and time that you want out of Evermore. So John and all the world walkers out there, if you see us in the park, come up to us, chat with us. We want to hear things that you're doing. Maybe we'll join your group for the evening for a bit. We'd love to exchange ideas with you. So you get the best out of the park and we get the best of the park from you as well. Collecting information, whether you're on your own or within a group, either way, you're going to have a fun time. Okay, I I think up next on our agenda is going through the story of Aurora. Spoilers! Um, Spoilers indeed. However, I don't know if they're going to repeat the Aurora story. But again, there could be some spoilers if they decide to do that. But... So as we know, the general story of the portals is that they, from the reports we have heard, they open in these cycles. Lore has been closed. The next one that was anticipated and indeed opened up was the portal to Aurora. Aurorans are militaristic kind of people. They're not necessarily aggressive, but they, they are proper, they're high, they're noble, and they are winter folk. It seems like the plane of existence that they come from, or this, this portal of Aurora, is a wintry season. Yes, exactly. The Aurora portal actually opened up right after Thanksgiving and stayed open all the way until February, the first part of February. Mm-hmm. So it grabbed a lot of these amazing, this happy period of, of Christmas and New Year's, and really, that was the spirit of Aurora, uh, this very winter wonderland, characters and decorations, everything was winter wonderland. I would basically say that Aurora is the breeding of Alaska and Sweden. Just a beautiful winter wonderland full of wonderful people, and you never know what you're gonna get. That's Aurora, folks. I don't... I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that, that means, Dan. Dan, you, Dan. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Person whose ear I am speaking into. You know. You know what it means to be a baby of Alaskan Sweden. Are you saying this is essentially IKEA, the, the marriage I, of American and oh Sweden? So, so this is not. You say Aurora is IKEA now. It is not the IKEA portal, but. I, I would be happy if there was one. I would I would love an IKEA what are portal. We talking about? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Aurora is this wonderful place. Yes, can we agree? Yes. I, I yes, I can agree. Mm-hmm. So wonderful, in fact, that as the power of the portal opened up, it manifested and changed the landscape of Evermore. <gasps> there was glowing roses and trees and an ice skating rink and little floating jelly animal that I light up that I loved and they were my absolute favorite light show of the whole thing. Uh, giant ornament that you could go inside and be super Instagram awesome. Yes, the magic of Aurora Portal has taken over Evermore at this point with all of its wintry goodness. And what a winter it is. It appears that Aurora is a land that has, as one of the characters explained to us, has winters so cold 
in parts of Aurora that it freezes the very light of the sun. Extreme cold and also extreme beauty comes with that. And that's what we found with the characters, new and old returning ones. Um, we did have some familiar faces show up. One of them being a key part in the finale of Lore. A spoiler alert again. Jacul, who we saw as Badger. He was there during Lore the entire time. He returned as his full unveiled self, Jacul Skara. We called him Jacul because, man, that name is a mouthful. It is a pretty big mouthful. It's also his last name, Skara. Um, and part of these people showing up, being militaristic, we find out the roles that Jakul, like, had in Aurora. Like, what his positions was held and, like, the, the, the policies and the mm-hmm. politics going on during that. So it kind of opened up a whole new intriguing, like, sight into what was happening and, and how that affects Evermore. Yeah, we learn a lot of the backstory of Jakul through King Eirik who tells us how Jakul essentially came into power, bringing along his brother Reiner. King Eirik, who is the king of Aurora, as we know it now, years ago, years and years and years ago, is attempting to unify Aurora into his kingdom of Aurora. It's kind of a confusing Australia's a continent, Australia's a country type of a deal. Uh, But Aurora as a landmass and Aurora the country... He was trying to unify that all together. So that's where the idea of the military aspect of Aurora and conquest came in. King Eirik was leading a campaign to unify the country. And in the battles that were going on, he was knocked down to the ground. He was likely going to be slain by enemy soldiers. We don't know too much about the other groups. But we know for a fact who came to the aid of the king was none other than our good friend Jakul, who fought like a absolute beast with the strength of many men to aid his king. And so the king saw this, rewarded him, and brought him in as his head military advisor. And then ultimately Jakul roped in his brother as head of intelligence. Along with the story of Aurora, it's very much politically centric. There's a lot of machinations that are going on between a lot of these characters. So as we're moving forward and discussing the story of Aurora, we're going to have to do some backgrounding on some of these characters because it's very central to the story and and what was happening moving forward. Like the fact that Jakul was, he's the commander, uh, he's the commander of the armies for King Eirik and he vanishes into the portal and isn't seen again in Aurora because as we know from lore, he was trapped here for a very long time. And in the ensuing parts, there was a general, King Eirik's adopted daughter, um, who is actually his niece, Drifa, and her sister, Nisno. His niece, Nisno. Niece, Nisno. It's very fun. <laughs> yes. They, Drifa actually became the commander after Jakul was gone. Drifa was originally commander, or, or was going to be. Yeah, she originally was going to be the commander. But she and, wasn't She then, wasn't commander No, because she was young. Yeah. So she was... I don't recall exactly what her position was before. She She always said that her birthright her, was her, to be No, that's commander. right. Her birthright was her to birthright, be commander. And then suddenly this foot soldier mm-hmm, got in, in her way. Right. And then when he disappeared, the king went to 
Rain, Reiner first. Uh-huh. And he was like, he said no. no. Convinced him to, to put Drifa in mm-hmm. place. Okay. Long story short, King Eirik is king of Aurora. He almost died. Jakul saved him. He's now general. Drifa mad because she gon' she gonna be general, but Jakul, a foot soldier, stopped her progress. And then not only that, like Chandler was saying, Jakul disappeared. King went to Reiner, and the only reason why Drifa ended up becoming commander is because Reiner declined the the offer to become general. And so Drifa was then put in command. And I was just going to say this. When, when we're talking about Jakul disappearing, this is Jakul's appearance into our world or into the world of Evermore. Uh, he shows up there after the portal that he came through, the portal of Aurora, shut off and didn't open for a vast amount of time, which is we, we meet him towards the latter end of that time. Uh, so that's just when, when we're talking about Jakul disappearing, this is this is Jakul's time when he leaves uh, Aurora to the time that we meet him in Evermore. That's his disappeared time from Aurora. From his account, well over 400 years. Mm-hmm. He yeah. was here on Earth wandering and then ultimately led it led him to meet Many people, one of which actually helped him survive those 400 years. And can I just add, these things that we learned about the past of Aurora, the histories of these Auroran individuals, and as well as the Evermorians who interacted with them, uh, that was where the bulk of the beauty of Aurora was for me, was in the histories of the people, the history of Aurora, Although, as a full fleshed out storyline, we didn't get all the bits of history, just like any aspect of history, you don't get the perfect image, Mm -hmm. but we got a really compelling image of who these people were, where they came from. And so that was a, for for me, that was one of the highlights of just the, the story of Aurora. Going forwards, keep that in mind that the, the beauty of a lot of the story of these things comes from the rich histories you get from the people. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think in lore, we had factions. And that was the idea behind lore was, okay, we have faction wars between different groups trying to defeat a common enemy, which is the darkness. In Aurora, we shift away from a common enemy to political intrigue. And agreed, a lo- and along with that, trying to decipher exactly what it is that the Aurorans wanted with Evermore. Because their inclinations, their directive, their purpose was kind of unknown. We didn't know if they were coming here to trade or create good relations and rebuild that with Evermore. Which is what they said they were here to do. Yes, that's exactly what they said that they were here to do. But some of it felt like that military aspect where they were like, hey, we need to come and seize Evermore because it is a critical point of power. This is the hub of portals. And if we control this, we have a ton of power and a ton of reasons to stay in power because we have these highways and these byways. And then along with that, there was the Mythosians that were stuck in Evermore that had some bad relations with the Aurorans because of what had gone on in some of their previous history. So there is a lot going on here, and we're going to try and break that down even further. Yeah, and maybe jumping off from Aurorans, I kind of wanted to bring up how people from Evermore are doing. 
because lore, this event just happened, has left a, a few people even broken. I wanted to see what they're doing now. Like, who are some major characters that were there in Aurora that maybe we recognized from lore? Well, primarily there was Wickham and Suds. Wickham, if you remember, was the science part of shutting down the portals and opening them, quite frankly. Um, he was there, and if you remember, Suds was angry at the very end of, of Lore with Wickham. And this whole time now he, in Aurora... He was angry because his fiance went through the portal and Wickham wouldn't get her back. Correct. And at this moment, they had quite the beef. They There was a confrontation of Suds actually physically having this altercation with Wickham and then kind of going to blows in the tavern a little bit. And then also along with these people, we had uh, Falda and Faldo and Sloane were all trying to gather some silver after the aftermath of the Fae King being cured of his darkness, or his madness rather, from the darkness. He was still in his, like, this bestial dark form so they were trying to collect silver to see if silver had magic enough to restore the faking to what he originally looked like and so that's kind of one of the the main things that was going on there and and checking up with the people from from lore and over the course of the aurora story i know that wickham and seds ultimately are able to resolve their differences seds is able to come to learn to forgive wickham especially during the 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 season of thanksgiving and the christmas season the holiday season uh there's a lot of this idea of let's just make amends let's be friendly and i think that was something that kind of fueled seds's seds's Suds thoughts. Suds's that's a fun thing to say. <laughs> uh, uh, Suds's desire to forgive Wickham, which was awesome to see. Uh, in terms of Faldo, Falda, and Sloane uh, healing the faking, I I personally am unaware if they were successful in that. Do y'all recall? I don't. Anything happening there? I think it was still as of yet undetermined okay or rather they said it was going good but there was no definitive like change that had happened from what i remember anyway at the very end of aurora faldo actually brought up the fact that parts of the plant life that the fungus that had grown up around the faking around kadarin had actually started coming off his skin oh okay so there was some very minimal but there was some healing that was going on my feet could use that same antifungal whatever they're getting (laughs) get some silver my man i get some silver just rub rub some silver on it rub some silver if you have a problem rub some silver on it (laughs) advice from us certifiable certifiable medical advice (laughs) rub silver on it rub silver on it forget windex people silver's the new option (laughs) Windex, it's a joke coming from my big fat Greek wedding where the uh, father... Have you not seen that? The father always applies Windex have to... Have you not seen this? Have you not seen my big fat Greek wedding? Outrage! Hi, everyone. My name is Chandler, and I have never seen my big fat Greek wedding. Out! Out! <laughs> my big fat Greek wedding is one of the known inspirations for Evermore. That's not true. Don't believe that. <laughs> but it's one of the known... It's... 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 it's its influence cannot be understated. Yeah. Um, regardless. regardless <laughs> I do want to mention that um, the factions that were in place in lore no longer exist. They, the knights are no longer there. The hunters canonically are off vampire hunting. The acolytes are gone. And there's no such thing as druids anymore. 
So it's not that they don't exist necessarily. They've just not presently in Evermore. And some of the druids were there, but they had been reformed and like have gone understand changes. What what are you what well, are you, what are you, I mean, what are you freaking out about? A druid a druid reformed is is a druid? No. No. They, they they're a changed they person. Went, they went to Prison. The druids went to prison. Druids went to prison? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. What? So, they went to Evermore Prison. So Agramir, the rat catcher, used to be a druid, um, but he was thrown into prison with the rest of the druids for the stuff and the crimes that they committed, but he reformed and promised that he would not do the things that he had done as a druid, and as such, they let him back out into the town and he could roam around. So the groups or the factions were not like a main focus of what was going on. The hunters were in the woods, the druids are in jail or reformed throughout the town, and the knights are a little longer present because they were conjointly joined with the elves, so they went back to mythos. So they're still in existence, they just weren't a present acting factor in yeah, what in I Aurora. insinuated, yeah. they no longer exist within Aurora. They still, of course, exist in the whole entire yes. universe. As a body of power, the druids are no longer together in name. As a body of power, power, the knights, yes, the hunters, yes, yes. they, they are yeah, no longer there. Uh, the only people who have power and are actually in power are the Aurorans, the Evermorians, and the Mythosians. You could think of those maybe as the new factions. Because these are three competing countries or city-states... That are trying to negotiate relations with each other. So, in regards to that, these new factions going on, we have the Mythosians and we have the Aurorans, and this conflict between the two, between the Mythosians and the Aurorans, goes back to before the portals closed for that extended a period of time. So, what was going on at that time is that the Aurorans, specifically King Eirik, had come over into Earth with the Mythosians to hunt and kill dragons. So this is something that was going on because the Mythosians and, to an extent, the Aurorans believed that the dragons were a danger to the population, and potentially it was hinted at that they may have been in a war with Earth. And so Earth, basically, repercussions or body of combat was with the dragons. And then the beef comes in in regards to the Aurorans and the Mythosians when the Aurorans started having the civil wars back in, back in their portal in Aurora, they withdrew to go and return and and try to restore the cohesion of their their home their home realm while the mythosians saw that as a breach of their contract of their treaty to come and help them destroy and fight against the dragons so at this point the mythosians are angry that the aurorans left because the aurorans are trying to hold on to their land it's like yo dog we fighting dragons and you just peaced what up yeah, yeah, they, they had like a joint joint effort, joint war effort, and then the Mythosians felt betrayed because the Aurorans just up and left in the middle of this. So you have this dynamic between the Aurorans and the Mythosians, and then the Evermorians are kind of caught in the middle, being this, this hub for portals. It's kind of the idea of like, well, do we side with a certain... Do we side with the Aurorans? Do we side with the Mythosians? Or do we decide to just kick everyone out and kind of do our own thing? And, and I think you could really feel the vibe from the Evermore characters. Like when you talked to Suds or when you talked to Faldo, there kind of was this tense air of, well, we don't know what these rival nations are going to do to our land and we're, we're nervous about it. It was very uh, gripping. Especially with the knowledge that 
there were ever Morians who were concerned that, well, what if the Aurorans are here to do more than just establish trade relations? What if they are here to sort of stake a claim on Evermore and on the world in general as a place where magic is powerful and these portals are able to open? That there was there was a history for that to be based on. They had a reason to believe that. They had reason to say the Aurorans have been on Earth before. They have done what they could to conquer with the Methosians. It's I I don't put it past the Evermorians at all not to be immediately trusting of these new people who just come through the portal, especially after lore when things coming through a portal wrecked havoc. Why would they treat these things any differently? I mean, they certainly weren't some darkness that appeared to be corrupting everyone, but nonetheless, I don't blame them at all. I wouldn't blame them, but the Evermorians definitely felt that tension, the Everfolk, because Mm. the direct result of these two parties coming to Earth was basically the extinction of all dragons. They wiped out an entire species of animal life here on Earth and here in Evermore. And as such, it's understandable why they could be tense as to why they're returning, because last time, or at least one of the times when they came, there was catastrophic events. And one little tidbit of information that is particularly interesting that we spent a lot of time trying to connect the dots about was that the killing off of all of these dragons, what like that time period was very closely correlated to the closing off of the portals. The exact connection between the two has yet to be 100% determined, but for the people who were digging through the story and kind of theory crafting, that is one of the things that I think was one of the juiciest from the Aurora season was this idea that, oh, maybe we have a reason for why these portals closed. And then the dragon trainers are becoming more and more important during Aurora as dragons appear to be coming back as the portals are doing the same. Yeah, the dragons are becoming stronger. Aiden and Ildrex, the two dragons that are there in Evermore, are becoming stronger. In some regards, they seem to be a little more active and and growing or, or reacting to magic of the portals opening. And this is important because while these tensions between the Mythosians, the Aurorans, and the Evermoreans are going on, the reason why things started getting really tense is because when King Eirik found out that Jakul was still alive, he felt that it was his responsibility or that it was only right and correct that he should give the command of the armies back to Jakul because Jakul wasn't dead. So technically, he should like he he didn't forfeit the right to be commander, but then Drifa wanted the command ship. She felt that she had been raised for it, and that's what her purpose in life to be was to be the commander of the armies. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a whole thing that popped off about that is when Drifa found out that King Eirik was going to give Jakul back the leadership, she confronted I- King Eirik and maybe threatened war. The way it was worded or the way it was construed is that she was threatening that she would bring war or that if Jakul was in charge, there would be war. Whether it would be her bringing the war or the fact that Jakul's nature is to be warfare-ish. Or, or maybe in, so incompetent that he can't defend Aurora properly because he's been so out of the game. Yes, that, that is a possibility as well. Possibility. I think there's a lot of things going into that. And when, when actually talking to her one-on-one, 
She admitted that she made a mistake confronting King Eirik in this way, this aggressive way. Mm -hmm. In her mind, she has always been the peacekeeper, which is why that point is so interesting, Skylar. She really is saying Jacquel couldn't do anything. Uh, He always was the reason for war, and um, she has kept peace this whole time that he's been gone. So, so it's important for Evermorians to get involved, especially in the Auroran political debates that are happening, because they have a ringer. They have Jakul, who has been with them for 400 plus years. They, they have someone that favors Evermore, uh, Evermoreans, favors Evermore policy, favors the, the people. They have someone that can fight for them. Compared to this character, Drifa, who is an Evermore through and through, whose birthright it is to be this this general whose birthright it is to be to conquer and conquest. So the debate comes down between who's it going to be? Who is King Eirik going to choose to be his forever general? Uh, Is it going to be Jakul, the Evermore sympathizer? Or Drifa, who's the Auroran... Uh, general, who's who's always been for Auroran interests. The birthright. The birthright. And we as world walkers, in coming into this situation, this political intrigue, got to interact with the characters and kind of not necessarily like straight up manipulate King Eric into choosing, but we got to convince him slowly and be like, well, I think and I think. And we got to provide some context to the story and give him some opinion, which was very a fun part for me, was talking to King Eric and being like, well, Jack Cool is pretty neat, and Drifa seems like, not nice. But it was interesting for sure. And we were actually pretty involved in this whole thing. The Mythosians and the Aurorans, although their past was pretty hectic and, and complicated, there was actually started to be messages back and forth between the two people. Uh, the two groups, um, there were messages of peace that we mm-hmm. were able to pass along to one another. Uh, actually, the Aurorans, King Eirik and Queen Lila, actually stayed in the home of the dwarves, right? Uh, so we were able to help thank the dwarves, who are Mythosians, from the Aurorans, which was actually a really great, mm-hmm. great thing. And akin to our experience with the cute little kid who got knighted, uh, one of these messages of peace was this little white feather uh, that the Mythosians asked to be delivered to uh, King Eirik or Queen Lila. There was uh, a super small little girl who was with her older sister and her mother. They walk up to King Eirik and the and this this just is a sign of how well I think the characters the actors handle these situations. I thought it was wonderful. King Eirik gets down on one knee on the level of this little girl, and this little girl's like, "I have a feather for you." And he and he takes it in his hand, and he's like, "Do you know what this means?" They they have little Russian accents. It's very funny. Yeah, Aurorans have Russian accents. Do you know what this means? This is a symbol of peace between mythos. And Aurora, this is a great uh, blah, 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 blah. And he, and, and, and he goes on this whole little uh, charade for this little girl to make her feel like she was the reason why peace was going to be achievable between Mythos and Aurora. I thought that was beautiful. It was just a fun little thing to see. And if I, I, 
I just see it as man being in the right place at the right time is something that happens all the time uh, at Evermore. There are always little things like this happening that you can enjoy and see that bring out the best of the story as you see that you and the other world walkers are the best of the story. And that moment right there was one of my favorite parts of all of Aurora because we went on that quest and we also did the the whole feather and the reparations and stuff. But the moment between those two, when I watched it and when I experienced it, I legitimately felt as if a peace treaty had been brought or come to an accord because of this little girl. Not only did it just probably make her day, but it made mine. It was beautiful mm-hmm. and so touching. It seemed as if King Eirik was crying and then I was like crying. And I'm just like, this is, this is fantastic. You have just bridged the gap between these two tense nations. And now they're friends again. It was awesome. We were, we, we were chatting with King Eirik like just before this was happening and afterwards he turned back to us and says well that was the cutest thing in the entire world it was it was it was awesome it was it awesome was. i loved it and and i loved the moment that he he actually said hold on to us right mm-hmm. we we go to the park pretty frequently and we we've come to know some of these characters on a name basis and uh, we weren't necessarily doing this super important thing. We were just asking questions. And the fact that he said, hold on, I'm going to talk to this other person. And he had this unique, individualized moment with this this world walker that even as a viewer, I felt like she did something that we could never do, mm-hmm. um, which was bridge this gap. It, even though we brought him a feather the same way, just that memory was so special, so sweet. I loved it. Mm-hmm. So, to summarize in regards to the Auroran conflict so far, King Eirik finds out that Jakul is alive and wants to place him in command. Drifa is not okay with this and she is upset with this. So, thereby, she's kind of raised some contentions against her father and mother. Um, uncle and... So, aunt. technically, uncle and aunt... But they were adopted by the king and queen, so also father and mother. And the relation between those two as uncle and aunt is that Queen Lila's sister is Mother Nature, who we met back in lore. So it's all in the family, folks. Yes, it gets really confusing, and that's why it's important that that we're, we're covering this. The Mythosians have created peace with the Aurorans. Simultaneously going along with this, kind of tangentially, not necessarily in regards to the Aurorans or Mythosians, the dragon trainers are attempting to find ways to hatch dragon eggs. This was a huge moment for for the dragon trainers. They've had these eggs, which they found in tombs in Egypt. They've, they've had these eggs... Uh, here on Earth, yet they were never able to actually make them hatch. Their The creation of their first dragon was unknown why it actually happened. It was theorized that perhaps it had something to do with the portal and the salamander, but it wasn't an actual dragon from a dragon egg. And mm-hmm. they wanted to make it hatch, which, again, like Skylar said, this was a huge part, especially at the end of Aurora. This culmination of all of these different quests and the, the 
attempt to hatch these eggs really happened when they sent the world walkers out to find a couple different materials. The three dragon trainers, Ina, Keda, and their father, all had different ideas of how these dragon eggs would be hatched. They needed the blue salt, which was a gift from the Aurorans. Then they also wanted gold to help hatch the eggs and also silver. Ultimately, though, none of these really seemed to hatch the dragons or or aid the dragon eggs in gestation. I don't know what the proper word is with eggs. I'm not a farmer. Mm-hmm. And then beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, robot alert. Something's happening. Uh, Tip Top, uh, while this whole thing is going on, has been breaking down, like literally falling apart before our eyes as one, the weather was getting darker and colder uh, and things just weren't working as well for Tip Top. It didn't seem to be designed to handle whatever cold Aurora had brought in to Evermore. And so with that, there was some fun questing going on with Wickham to figure out what can we do to help Tip Top. My personal uh, way of approaching this one was we we talked a little bit earlier about this crystallized uh, Auroran sunlight, uh, which we eventually came to learn was called Everfrost, and that it has these unique powers of channeling and controlling the cold. And my thought was, uh, according to Wickham's, in, in, in conversation with Wickham, that Tip Top's heart wasn't pumping correctly, that this pericardial sac of robotic flesh that surrounded its iron heart wasn't functioning properly. And so my thought was, let's make it a new pericardial sac infused with the Auroran Everfrost such that its heart would be able to beat with the power of Aurora to channel the tip-topian fluids uh, despite the crazy, crazy cold weather that uh, Evermore and freaking Utah has to offer. (laughs) And unfortunately, in the midst of all this, Wickham vanishes. Mm. Just straight up disappears. And it was literally just on a stroll through the forest. Like, that's how it's discussed. We asked, where did he go? Oh, he went off on a walk to the forest and did not return. And he was gone. Out of, out of the blue. Uh, but shortly after Wickham disappeared, some interesting things started to happen. Ciphers with strange messages started appearing through out evermore. These ciphers were, uh, essentially what it was, was just like billboards and, and ads that were placed in various places around the park. Not ads, I guess, but just like, there were markers. Signage. I guess is a better word. Yeah, yeah signage. There, there were signage and markers. Posters. 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 There were posters around the park that gave you information. And then you could take that information, go back, and decipher the hidden code and hidden message. Some of... uh, We didn't really get to participate in that as much. We were kind of too busy chatting and talking. So our knowledge is limited on what the actual ciphers say. But from what we got, uh, someone was just trying to reach us through Tip Top's kind of like life frequency was and telling us that the cycle was starting again. Is our Tip Top functional? There were hidden codes and messages that was very cool. So yeah, with these ciphers, they were very interesting. They they didn't actually give us too much knowledge. It was still a little bit more of mystery. But basically, the overall takeaway from this was that 
Potentially, these portals may have never closed in the first place. It could be some sort of confusion that we had in the process or that the cycle is the it, it said the cycle is starting again and that the portals may have never been closed in the first place which again is just the nature of the ciphers they were pretty mysterious so we couldn't quite pin down what it is so things with the ciphers were cryptic and on the topic of things being cryptic let's talk about romance shall we <laughs> well i know which one is my personal favorite that we kind of had a little bit of a lot of bit we'll, hand in. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll save that one for last because it's okay. juicy. Okay. We'll save that one for last. It's juicy. Yeah. Uh, so li- little things that we saw going on throughout the Aurora season was that Nisno might have been a little bit sweet on Jakul. We saw that more towards the end that she was like, oh, I'm going to be so sad that you don't come back with us to Aurora. I'm really going to miss you. Oh. Uh, and then we also saw that uh, Reiner and Jarifa had a kind of controversial relationship as one came from nothing, the other one was royalty, a little bit of prince in the pauper, although one of them was already installed in the highest echelons of military intelligence. But for some reason, there was still a little bit of an issue there. Uh, so that, 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 that was a pretty fun one to see. One of my favorite moments, because I only went to Aurora once, and when I did, I brought my sister, and this was the very first thing that we did, we went and investigated romance because, gosh darn it, we're going to find out who likes each other. <laughs> and I, I remember distinctly that when I went with my sister and we went with her roommate, they were kind of like, ah, this, you know, I kind of told them the basic premise of political intrigue and they're like, that's okay, I guess. But when I introduced the, the lady Nisno, which is the right way to say it, guys, because apparently I say nice no a lot. But Nisno, because she does have a very regal icicle crown and she has a big flowy white dress and white hair, she's very, very pretty. People compared the two princesses to Elsa from Frozen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in, so. In the character design. In character design. They, they're totally on the mark with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They saw, they saw an ad of Nisno and they said, we want to go talk to her, we want to go find her. So we searched the entire park for Nisno. And we started talking to her, and just when we were talking to her, I don't know how it happened, and maybe this is why I'm still single, but these ladies were able to just eke out all of these lovely details about (laughs) romance and liking Jakul that I was like, yeah, I guess that's pretty neat. (laughs) So it was very interesting, and again, it just goes to show that when you go to Evermore, you get what you want. Like, if you go searching for something, you can typically find it. Yeah, there was also some in, uh, some interesting romances or some really fun romances between Evangeline and Cedric, the executioner's oh, apprentice. Yes. That was just a fun one. I just really liked them. They were really fun to interact with. That one, there wasn't really any controversy with. It was just kind of nice. They kissed. And they kissed on New Year's. Speaking of New Year's, Evermore had an incredible VIP party where you were able to buy special tickets to go to a certain part of the park. The part that I want to talk about really is Dreva and Reiner, who not only were together the entire night, but... Even once Evermore launched the fireworks at the stroke of midnight, Dreefa and Reiner could be seen arm in arm together looking up into the sky. Juicy, juicy. The sweetest moment. 
No one was around. Everyone was looking up to the sky. And it was literally just them, arm in arm, watching. And us creeping on them in the background. <laughs> oh, oh, wow, this is a really sweet hey, moment. It hey. would be awful if somebody were to interrupt them. Hey, you guys gonna kiss? <laughs> they did not. They, they did not. They did not, but I, I did talk to King Eric about that later, and he got really, really steamed about me, yes. like insinuating that Reiner might have a thing for Drifa. That was really interesting. It, it was. But it ended up all working out because in the end, Reiner actually proposed to Drifa. So they got engaged. Oh, what? Yeah. And so now let's get to the cutest of all the relationships, the one that had us crying tears. Oh. And us oh. literally pulling the strings. Skylar, take it away. Okay, because you're a baby. He he, he was the orchestrator of this whole thing, the mastermind. Look, so there is a light elf that came in from Aurora with the Aurorans. They were the 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 medical peoples for the Aurorans. Regardless, anyway, this is kind of a little irrelevant. Plus, they were so lighthearted and fun. The light elves were just great. They were comical and wonderful. They were fantastic, and that's why we loved them so much. Specifically, one in particular was my favorite. Her name was Iona, and she made us promise that we would always say it that way, so we'll always say it, Iona! Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's there, there's also, a, like, a hand wave associated with it. Yes, Le- left you to right. It. You didn't see it, but we did it. Absolutely we did. <laughs> anyway, so she was in love with Jack Cool and kind of always had been from the way that we got this interpretation but she was really afraid to admit that she was, so anytime we would bring it up, we're like, hey, it looks like you're you're into Jakul a little bit. She's like, no, I don't know what you're, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, we heard that you like him. No, my, my friend, my friend likes Jakul. My friend. Like, oh, okay. So anytime we would talk to her about this romance, we would be like, so your friend is interested in Jakul, Yeah. And she would just get all twirly and happy about it. And I, I, I loved it. I loved it. And Rainer would, would prod at them and try to get them together. Anyway, nothing was coming of this. And it was, it was irking me really, really bad because <clears throat> I wanted them to be together because I just thought she was so des- adorable and deserved love. So we did something a little bad. <laughs> Enter Sir Philip Humphrey, the postmaster of Evermore. With, with a small purchase, you can send a message if, if you have some gold or silver, pretty much any sort of exchange currency within the Park of Evermore, you can send a postcard. And you're able to choose who it goes to, and you get to write who it is from. So, what would happen if one were to write a postcard from Jakul to Yona and from... Yona to Jakul, titling them as though they were from one another, but really both being written by Skylar. Well, one of them was written by Chandler as well. Oh, oh true, true, true. true, true. (laughs) What is this? Hey, look, sometimes love needs a little helping hand, okay? I got in trouble for elementary school for doing this. Gosh. Okay, okay, I understand. And, And, but we sent these postcards and ultimately... Iona got it. She was really excited about it, but then she went and talked to Jakul, and he was like, what? What? Are you, what? I didn't send this. And then it, like, broke her heart a little bit, and it broke my heart a lot a bit. But at that point, they started writing each other with a special secret code so that they would always know who it was from. So 
regardless of whether this was okay or not, you can't <laughs> deny my results. He primed <laughs> the, that pump. The end does not justify the means. But it totally does! <laughs> because the, the, the best thing started happening. So they start riding each other, and then they start canoodling off on the side. You see them start talking a little bit. And then, of course, because we've gotten in super close with Yona at this point, we start talking to her about her how her friend is doing and how her friend has begun to organize these friend meetings with Jakul where they can go and exchange thoughts and ideas and we give some recommendations to Yona about what she can do when she is with Jakul. And we decided that one of the things that the Light Elves love to do is to teach people how to do pranks. And they're always lovely, kind little pranks like picking up trash is a prank or doing your chores is a prank, a hilarious prank. <laughs> and so we uh, we said, well, why, why don't you teach Jakul how to do some of your favorite pranks? After all, Jakul was supposed to be this mischievous mastermind that we heard about during lore. So yeah, why not? He he, he likes playing games on people. Let's, let, let's teach him to do some light elf games. So it was really fun. It ended up being all right, at least in the meantime. And I did go and apologize to Iona when she found out. I let her know, hey, I'm the one that did this. And she did forgive me in person. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. promised I would never do it again. So don't do it again or I will also come after you. <laughs> well, it was, it, was, uh, it was actually the romance. Because I came in towards the end and I found out about the uh, Nisno romance. But it was kind of like finding out about that romance started to be the catalyst for the end game of Aurora. Because it was Nisno's concern about Jakul, about staying in Evermore for another 400 years that got her worried. That is like, he needs to come back to Aurora. And then, then we were counter to that because you guys were invested in Iona so much. Like, mm. no, he needs to stay in Evermore so he can love Iona. And so... This this military decision of King Eirik had to start coming to a head, and it started happening when Nisno started talking to King Eirik and trying to convince him to, to take uh, Jakul back to Aurora. So what ended up happening here with this decision after getting all the input from the Evermore folk and from us as the World Walkers, just collectively, he came to the decision that he was still going to ask Jakul to be the commander. However, when he approached Jakul, Jakul denied him. He said, no, I will not be your commander because I fear what you might do to the people here in Evermore and I can't follow out those commands. Regardless of whether it's well-intentioned or not, Jakul didn't want to be put in a position where he may possibly be pitted against the Evermorean folk. And so as such, Drifa was then reverted command. And Drifa also came and apologized to King Eirik, saying, Look, I'm sorry that I reacted so harshly, and I, I promised to follow you. And then at this point, King Eirik asks her to forgive him and says, Would you still be willing to be my commander after this seemingly distrust that I may have placed in you? And Drifa says yes, and all is well, as she retains command of the Auroran armies, and Jakul, it turns out, because of his love of Evermore and the Evermorean folk, he is going to return to Aurora, yet become an intermediary between Earth and Aurora, and really be that go-between that perhaps always needed to be there, and he was going to fill that space. 
So in future Aurora seasons, we can hope to see Jakul return and return again as this intermediary. And my my little romantic heart is very happy that in, in Aurora, he will be able to maybe, just maybe, spend a few more friend-to-get-togethers with Yona, and uh, maybe something of that will come. I can only hope. I think that would be really beautiful. I would love that. I, I personally would like to see a little Jakul and Nisno because you already got Rainer and Drifa. I mean, it would just work. It would just be beautiful. And I I mean, when we were talking with Nisno, it was just, she was, it was so subtle and she was so shy at loving. She wasn't as grand as Iona. And there is a, a subtle difference there that is also very cute and wonderful. So their fun, cute mashup names would be uh, for Jakul and Yona, Jonah, and for Jakul and Nisno, Niscool. <laughs> I'm a Jonah shipper. I'm, I'm a Niscool. I'm a big Jonah shipper. Yep, I'm all a Jonah shipper. You're the odd one out, Wyatt. Well, I mean, the people listening might be Niscools. Yo, shout out, Niscools. Yeah. So you let us know, are you a Jonah or are you a Niscool? Or are you just another ship entirely? Like, have you noticed a, a romance that maybe we didn't catch on to? Well, so you have the end of Aurora because the threat of war, the threat of invasion is done. King Eirik is, has, settled, has peacefully settled this power struggle. Um, Drifa is now in command. She intends for peace. So everything is calming down and getting ready for the next season, except for... A little hiccup in the Dragon Trainers. So the Dragon Trainers, as we said before, were attempting to find ways to hatch the Dragon Eggs. This was ultimately aided by an act of also another one of our favorites. Everybody in the park is our favorites. So... Anyway, this is... <laughs> anyway, everyone's a favorite. This, it's very difficult to say who's favorite, because everyone's true. favorite. Septus uh, is favorite. Septus is best girl. Okay, continue. <laughs> That's an anime thing. Anyway, so one of the people coming up into this with the dragon trainers is Gudrun. Gudrun has found something in the histories of Mythos, Aurora, and Evermore that could potentially aid them in this. And what she discusses with the dragon trainers is the fact that they have found something called resonance bowls. And that perhaps attuning to the right frequency could allow the dragon eggs to hatch with resonance magic. At which point in time, they began this quest to gather some similar things that we've uh, seen. Things that uh, were made of gold, things that were made of iron, things that were made of silver to test these different resonance frequencies of these different portals to see what sort of magical frequency these dragons needed to hatch. So they orchestrated this big old event where they were going to try to use these different items to cause a great hatching of this egg that they had. It was pretty impressive because as they got each of these items, as they got the silver cup that we had to pay King Eirik for that came from Aurora, we all pulled a bunch of gold and silver in to buy this from him. We took it and Aiden, the father of Ina and Kada, would attempt to use the resonance bowl for like 30 minutes. I kid you not. I sat there and watched him for a full 30 minutes as he kept twirling this thing. And again, great immersion and 
engrossing atmosphere that the actors give because he when he said he was going to do it for 30 minutes, he did it for 30 minutes. And it was very impressive. Anyway, and he did that with each item that, that happened and, or came into it as we got a gold cup from Seftis, which Kata won in a game of chance. That was impressive. She came in determined to get a large amount of gold as he had it. Uh, she lost his game of chance. Some world walkers pulled together uh, some th- different items. A world walker donated his hat for the evening and uh, mm-hmm. that Seftis demanded uh, that he have. And then suddenly, after unfortunately a world walker did lose, Kida Aina stepped up saying, I'm going to play my, now we play my game. And she took Seftis over to another table, played a game, and he lost. I'm sorry, Dan. Seftis lost. Seftis knew that the dragons were important and could maybe be used for executions in the fir- in the future. So I'm sure that he allowed Aina to win. Oh, it's an investment. Yes, an investment in the future. Mm. Uh, I, I, I would say an executioner with a dragon is a fearsome executioner indeed. Whatever the case, he... Keep dreaming. <laughs> he did lose and had to pay up this large goblet of gold, mm-hmm. uh, which then, again, went to the dragon trainers and they tested the resonance. And it did not work, unfortunately. After this, they attempted to find some Mythosian iron. So they went to Grimy the Goblin. Grimy the Goblin also was willing to trade things, but he would only trade it for unusual items. Having been to Evermore before, we knew that they were interested in these types of items. So I just had a, a shiny silver flash drive that I decided to give to him has absolutely nothing on it but I gave it to him and he liked that and thought it was willing to trade there was also a lot of other things that were involved in that transaction social security well. cards um, <laughs> bank account information mm-hmm. uh, offshore uh, ex- some- accounts totally wired over to grimy he he he, he left a made man. A I'm made sure goblin, he got, a, he got a child as well, right? Someone well, offered their, their child? Offered. He didn't take it, as goblins do only like shiny things, so money is their preferred mm-hmm, currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or other various pointy metals, such as flash drives. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, they took this... Mm, he took this payment, and we got a nice lantern made of Mythosian iron, And again, they tested the resonance, and it didn't work. At this point, there was some theorizing as to why this wouldn't work, because we had the three portals, right? We had Evermore, we had Aurora, and we had Mythos. So what's going on here, guys? Are you forgetting lore? Ah, lore. That's an interesting prospect, because this is a portal that they've never seen before. So you need something from lore. Indeed. So the person that they ended up going to was Jakul, because Jakul was pretty instrumental in the lore process and keeping people from getting sick. And Jakul ended up having a vial of some of the black stones, which was really interesting that he was still holding on to this, because as we know, lore was kind of dark and evil and creepy and infectious. But Jakul promised that he would allow us or allow the dragon trainers to use this black stone so long as he was able to view the ritual to attempt to hatch the dragon eggs. And so that's what we did. We went 
and tried to hatch the dragon eggs with all of these four elements included. Would like to mention that as they did this, Jakul reached into his jacket, pulled out a little bit of silver, and was fiddling it with it in his hands. So I don't know if it does affect what happened to the dragon trainers. However, it does seem a little suspect as to what maybe he was aiding, maybe he was hampering. Who's to know? Until Mythos, perhaps. Mm-hmm. What, what, what was he pulling a Snape counter charm uh, from book one, the Sorcerer's Stone? Or uh, was he Quirrell destroying the broom? And this is important because the dragon trainers, when they attempted their ritual, it's a very incredible ritual that they, an entertaining ritual that they put on for us. They had like this platform and this resonant piece stone that was coming out of this. They placed, they placed all the four different metals at the four corners of this altar, this dragon egg altar type deal. And put the eggs on top and then started resonating on this resonating plate. And then the eggs lit on fire. It was really stunning. And a little disappointing when we found out that the dragon eggs were not reanimated or unpetrified or put into a period where they would hatch. However, this did become a vehicle for the dragon trainers resolving some of their familial issues and the conflicts that they had between each other. So ultimately, we learned that through failures that we can come closer together as people. I love that. It just takes a couple of dragon eggs to bring family together. Them not hatching, of course. Yeah, because, you know, dragon babies were just wreak havoc on relationships and not to mention the mess you got to clean up after them all the time they real hamper on your marriage right and then you can't have any other pets because they get eaten and you lose all of your friends as soon as you have dragon babies you know because you can't make time for your friends anymore everyone knows that (laughs) (laughs) just so you know we we linked up arms as though we were in a little family huddle saying oh i love you I care about you. That's what we were doing during that little uh, that little chat. But I gotta say, this Aurora finale, including with the dragon trainers and all of their adventures as a family, and an adventure trying to hatch the dragon eggs, really got people excited for Mythos, which is going to be what seems to me a dragon festival of sorts. Like there's, they seem to be a really big emphasis on dragons, and that finale night with the dragons. Dragon Trainer Quest uh, just got everyone hyped. Just got everyone super excited. It did because we came to find out later. Um, so the, the, that Dragon Quest actually happened the, the the night before the finale. Yeah. And then finale night, come to find out that the hunters returned. Mm-hmm. They came back with news from the woods that they had been following tracks of a very large creature. A big, big creature that they determined to be a dark dragon uh i believe they refer to it as like a shadow dragon or a black dragon some massive dark creature that they identified as a dragon now what what would have otherwise spooked most people got the dragon trainers super super excited and although the hunters coming with the news made it sound rather ominous talking with the dragon trainers they couldn't be more enthused. If you had the chance to interact with Ina, uh, for example, over the course of Aurora, she was a rather somber person, didn't smile too much. She was 
always elated to talk about dragons and what they mean to her. But that finale night, the true finale for her, and for me seeing her was seeing her with this smile that just lit up the entire town for me like she it was it was really interesting to see the contrasting views on dragons between the hunters and the dragon trainers which is something i'm excited for to see in mythos is how those two are going to be perhaps competing factions or just competing groups again that oh it's just gonna be fun seeing things heat up uh, in mythos oh a, a, a black dragon you say mm. Mm, interesting my money's on a night fury. Ooh. My money is on the red eyes black dragon. <laughs> oh, is that is that Joey Wheeler? It's from, Joey Wheeler from, from from the hit show Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> wow! Thanks th- thanks for coming into the studio, Joey. You got it, Yug. No. we're we're coming to the end of the podcast. I want to give a last shout out or chance. To any evermore characters, stories, or scenes that were memorable to you. Otherwise, I think we kind of wrapped up Ever uh, Aurora's story pretty well. Yeah, basically the Aurora story went as this: is that the Aurorans came, repaired relations with Mythos. Drifa ultimately ended up becoming commander. Wickham has gone missing. Tip Top is doing all right, and dragons are back, baby. Ow! ow. ow. That's that's Aurora in. The most smallest of nutshells. And so I think now, as we tend to do, we have a few things that we want to wrap up with. I think we have some Evermore experiences. Is that correct, we, Senor Wyatt? We do. We do. We have we have a lot of uh, listener comments from you guys, and we appreciate it. We want to read off a few just because we love you guys, and you guys are so kind and wonderful to us. And we encourage, if you haven't written in or you have something you want to share with us, share with us. We want to hear those stories. We want to hear those wonderful moments at Evermore, just like uh, the the little boy being knighted and the little girl bring, bringing peace, because those moments are just precious. Perfect. This one is from Courtney. She says, as an actor at Evermore, I was super nervous to watch or listen to any reviews of anything related to the park, but I binge listened to all of your podcast yesterday, and you guys are so sweet. Keep up the great work. Thank Aww. you, Courtney. Thank you so much, Courtney. Thanks, Courtney. Appreciate Courtney. You so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And this one's coming from TJ. He says, hey, guys, I just got cast in Mythos. So, congratulations. Congratulations. To you, TJ. Uh, I just got cast in Mythos, so I am using your podcast to brush up and see how guests are reacting and what they're looking for. Loving it so far. Anyway, my Evermore experience was similar to the one you told in episode one. I saw someone get knighted and wanted to do it too, so I went around, did the quests, and when I got back to the knight, there were a couple of other people ready to be knighted too. So he did the ceremony for all of us. As he went around, he asked my name, and as I responded, one of the other guys kneeling down was like, Wait, TJ? Long story short, it was one of my best friends from my childhood who I hadn't seen in like 15 years. So not only is Evermore a magical place that brings out all these amazing stories, but it reconnected me with a long lost friend. That's amazing. That's a great story. Yeah. Evermore truly a magical place. Bringing us all together. And look, you're both Knights of Evermore. Like... What amazing! What Lit brothers what a, in arms! What a beautiful bond! You 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 went off on this fifteen year quest, where you were separated and triumphantly brought back together to be knighted as knights of 
evermore. That's beautiful. I love that. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, TJ, and you, Courtney, and as well as John from the top of the show with his question. Uh, with all of these things together, feel free to, to be like them. Follow us on our Instagram at World Talkers. Write in at our Gmail. Uh, Worldtalkers.podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we will always plug it. Make sure you leave us uh, a review and rating on iTunes. That really helps small budding podcasts like us blossom and grow. And, and we appreciate you guys so much. And we will see you beyond, beyond the, the portal. portal.